Consequences of Rock After Show. Conversations about the moments that forever changed rock and roll. I guess we can start out pretty broad. Uh, how did the Stones become so popular? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, out of all the episodes for this season that we're talking about, uh, this is the only sort of band or incident that occurred like before I was born. Mm-hmm. So I can't claim like, you know, growing up with the Rolling Stones. Uh, I was born in 71 and they were, you know, well established by then. But I think um, to answer your question, I think they tapped into the, um, the elements of African-American jazz and blues combined mm. with what came out of rock and roll in the 50s. And uh, like many things, especially in, in rock and roll history, I think the Stones had the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. They had a very charismatic front man in Mick Jagger. Um, you know, Keith Richards, you know, great guitarist. Um, they, both of those guys were heavily steeped in the blues. I mean, they sat at the, at the feet of Muddy Waters and, you know, they, they were well-versed in that. Um, they were sort of at the forefront of the British blues revival in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. So I think um, they just happened to be at the right place at the right time, but they really were the full package. Like they were, um, they were a great band. And I think that the thing that gets lost on the stones, because now they're in like their, what, 70s and mm-hmm. they're, they're old men. <laughs> yeah. But even in, in like the 70s and 80s, when they were much more commercially mainstream, uh-huh. people forgot how dangerous that band was. <laughs> they were rebels and <clears throat> outlaws and they were uh, in, in, this, in the 60s, I mean, they were a counter counterculture. You know, they yeah. they weren't they weren't like hippies and love childs. They were, uh, you know, they they were guys you stayed away from. They were dangerous, <laughs> and I think that that was lost as they gotten older and gotten more popular. Uh, that's kind of lost. But if you go back and look at their roots, uh, th- there's a there's a lot of danger surrounding that band. So, do you think they were like a protest band or a hippie band? Like, why did all these hippies kind of uh, get attracted to them? I'm not. I'm not so sure they were. I, I think, hmm. um, you know, it, Altamont was definitely in the same vein of, as Woodstock. I mean, yeah. if you look, you performed at Altamont. It's indicative of the time. You know, you have the Grateful Dead was there and, and Jefferson Airplane was there. And, and they were sort of tied into the, the hippie movement, the, the psychedelic movement, psychedelic rock movement in San Francisco in, in the late 60s. But um, the Stones were different. Like, And, and mm-hmm. I think... You know, the Stones had had some success early on in the 60s, much like the Beatles. Like the Beatles and Stones have kind of come up together as rivals. And mm. there tend to be hardcore fans of one band or the other. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I don't know. You know, I, I think they happened to have enough clout at the time to put together this outdoor festival and draw these other performers there. But I don't. I don't think they were part of that movement necessarily. Hmm. Uh, I. But they. I mean, they're st- certainly you know, based in, in blues rock and, yeah. and, and that tradition. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, the, the Stones are always a different type of band. I, I always thought of like the hippie movement as more Woodstock, you know, yeah. like Country Joe and the Fish and um, Joe Cocker and, uh, and, uh, and Jefferson Airplane. You know, those, those kinds of bands really st- strike me as the hippie movement, whereas the Stones, I think, were, were much more closer to like the Chicago electric blues movement in the 40s and 50s. Hmm. 
you talked about how dangerous they were. Um, why was it so cool to be outrageous? Like, why didn't bands just go up and, and play? I think it still is. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I think if you look at uh, if you look at what entertains us, whether we're talking about music or television or movies, mm-hmm. it's it's things that have elements of danger. Like we like to live vicariously through mm-hmm. other experiences because we're kind of risk averse as creatures. We don't necessarily want to put ourselves in harm's way. I mean, it kind of goes against instinct. You you yeah. do things to protect yourself. So when there are people or groups or organizations that sort of turn their nose up at that and do what they want anyways, we're attracted to it because we sort of want to experience what they're experiencing, but not take the risk that they are. So I think, uh, I mean, if if we look across uh, the music landscape in history, you know, you look at, at Kiss and you look at Metallica and you look at some of the other bands we're talking about and they were dangerous and threatening <laughs> and scary uh, until they weren't. But like mm. starting out, I think um, that's what that's what people are drawn to. They're drawn to like the things that are different, outrageous, uh, dangerous, exciting. Because ninety nine point nine percent of us will will never have those experiences. I mean, no matter how much I love the Rolling Stones, like I, you know, I was not <laughs> would not have been part of that crowd or doing the things that they did. Yeah. And, uh, so I think for a lot of people, that's what's really attractive about, I mean, it's it's the bad boy of rock and roll stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess moving more towards Altamont and uh, and what happened there, do you think that this kind of behavior maybe prompted some of this violence at these shows? What type of behavior? You well, I'm, I guess uh, like the outrageous behavior that a lot of these bands had or kind of like the, you know, on the edge, risky things. Uh, do you think that followers of bands like that were more likely to, you know, I don't know, get into mosh pits or, or fight people or something just because kind of the nature of how their uh, how their musical role models were acting? Yeah, no question about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, the the people who were in their late teens and early 20s in the late 60s and early 70s would have been gravitating to experiences in bands like that, uh, especially, you know, coming out of the the baby boom world war ii era and there's Mm. definitely more of an anti-authoritarian movement that's happening um and people are not necessarily just doing what their parents did Mm. uh teenagers especially and so yeah i think you get you get sort of disaffected youth which you always get every generation you get um the marginalized adolescents who Mm. feel like they're not being heard and they're they're not being seen and these Mm. bands do that they, they see these people mm-hmm. but you also get uh, i mean this gets into Altamont more specifically like uh-huh. the stones didn't necessarily hire the hell's angels that's a sort of a misconce- misconception i found in the research that there wasn't like an official okay here's the agreement and you're going to provide security it was like yeah we'll be there and throw us some beer and we'll just make sure no knuckleheads get in the way <laughs> and and like for for a band like the stones like that would have been good enough and and it was and um, and the Hell's Angels, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about them, but mm-hmm. total outlaw organization, yeah. you know, criminals, um, especially at that time. And they were involved mm-hmm. in, in guns and drugs and, and, and everything else. So for, uh, for the Stones to be performing to, to people who were marginalized and not really part of mainstream, didn't really care too much about it. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, the bikers, biker gangs there. Like, yeah, I think it was... 
it was not it was not the way it is today. Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't have gone, you wouldn't have gotten your ticket from Ticketmaster and scanned your phone to go to Altamont. You know, it would have yeah. been like you just kind of show up and whoever's there is there. And I think it was a it was a different time, and it's something that, that you or neither you nor I probably have any good idea of what that must have been like. Yeah, well, and I guess specifically on the point of just kind of the violence and I guess the vibe of some of these shows. Um, why do you think that's kind of been lost, right? Because, I mean, you go, to, you go to concerts nowadays and people just kind of stand there for the most part. I mean, maybe it's just the kind of music that, that you and I go to see, but it des- definitely feels like something has shifted where people are a little less just crazy at these things. I think it, yeah, it, it depends on the type of show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, when I, was, when I first started going to concerts in the, in the 80s, uh, it was called moshing or slam dancing. Yeah. It started out calling slam dancing, and then it was the mosh pit. You got in the mosh pit, and the idea was that you got in there and threw, threw your body around, and you you got out all the rage and frustration you had. But it was never directed at the, your fellow concert goers. It was mm-hmm. just sort of an exercise in getting this energy out. And so I would see guys go in. It was mostly guys. Yeah. I would see guys go into the pit and. That someone would throw an elbow and would like break their nose and it would just be blood and they would fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they would fall to the ground, three or four other guys would run over and pick them up and like make sure they were okay and get them back on their feet, mm-hmm. which is a very bizarre dynamic. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain, but you, in other words, you're like, you know, you're beating the shit out of each other, but you're also <laughs> making sure you're okay. Yeah. And I weird. think that was the culture of, of the eighties metal and especially bands that did that. I think the Stones and Altamont is a completely different thing. I, I think that's a situation where possibly drugs and alcohol and some bad actors hmm. um, made, a, made a tense situation really bad. So I, and I think today, um, you know, depending on, on the shows you go to, there are probably certain shows you can go to where there are still people climbing over the barricades, getting on the stage and leaping off. Hmm. Uh, there are still <laughs> bands encouraging that. But I, I do think that there is a... It's a different culture now, too, in that we're much more cautious. Mm. I think we're much more legal in ways, you know, like um, mm. there, there's liabilities involved if someone gets hurt at a show. And I'm, yeah. so I'm not saying like those were the good old days and now no, it sucks. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, there were some pretty high profile stories of fans who died at shows and it hit the musicians hard. Um, mm. It hit the industry hard. I know there were fans who died at like ACDC shows and Guns N' Roses shows, and those are the big ones. Yeah. So it's not glorifying that by any means, but um, there, is a, there is a strange dynam- dynamic amongst some bands at some times where, um, yeah, the mosh pit's really never something I understood. And, and yeah. I, I never really got into it. I kind of stayed on the periphery mm-hmm. because um, I saw people coming out like bloodied and broken. Yeah. But like I said, at the same time, and like the, the show would be over and the lights would go up and everyone's like, okay, let's go get a beer and like putting their arms around each other. And it wasn't like a fight, whereas yeah. Altamont to me felt like a fight. Yeah. Uh, what was the initial uh, public reaction to, to what happened at Altamont? Well, I, again, I don't know because I wasn't alive when Altamont happened, but mm. the legacy of it, which I felt, especially in the 70s and going into the 80s, was that it was sort of the unofficial end of the summer of love. Yeah. So you had mm-hmm. you had this very tight window of a movement, of the hippie movement, where people were just like, "Yeah, let's just get high and hang out and have fun and chill and like mm. 
but that didn't last very long. And I think the um, what Altamont does is like you, you look at Woodstock that happened a few months earlier in the summer, mm. and Altamont happens in December, and it happens almost on the cusp of the changing of the decade. And when yeah. you when you didn't they didn't know it at the time, but when you look back now, you can see that the early seven, early to mid seventies were really turbulent. I mean, you look at what was happening with you know oil embargoes and Vietnam, yeah. and it was sort of an end of innocence, I think, for American youth. And whether whether you agree with it or not, I think. Uh, Altamont sort of symbolized that like yeah here was Woodstock and everyone had fun and babies were born and it was great and oh yeah here's Altamont some guy was stabbed to death and like it was a disaster Um, and those were the very same types of environments and shows and an approach but uh, but yeah I'd say Altamont is is sort of remembered as the end of that innocence yeah people kind of call it the death of the hippies yeah so um, I, I guess looking looking past that, how did the counterculture kind of shift um, as people went into the '70s and sort of away from this hippie movement? Well, I think it reemerged in punk music. Hmm. Um, it didn't take long. Um, you know, you can you can find some proto and early punk in the you know early to mid '70s, and then by the late '70s, it's it's a full on movement. I think that that's where it went, and you can kind of see you can follow the trajectory of the intensity of it, like, uh-huh. you know, like in, in Altamont and the Stones, you know, you had people who considered themselves rebels or outsiders, whereas punk, when once punk came less than 10 years later, it was a badge of honor. Yeah. <laughs> now you were like, you were proud to break the law and put safety pins through your ears and, you know, and play instruments that were out of tune and play yeah, two minute yeah. songs and like, you look at bands like the Sex Pistols, especially, mm. um, MC5, like the, there were... I, I think those those bands took that energy um, that was happening at the end of the 60s and early 70s and kind of transformed it into what was happening uh, for them, especially in New York and London. Hmm. And then if you go a little bit further, you can kind, kind of see that energy reemerge in, um, in heavy metal in sort of the, the you know, mid to late 80s. Um, and then it reemerges again as kind of grunge yeah. in the 90s. It almost seems like for, for a number of decades, there was a 10-year cycle of where this really intense energy found a home yeah, in, in, yeah. in music, but it, it reemerged in a different way. It wasn't the same. It was somehow transformed. Hmm. Um, now, I don't know, like, as I think now, as, as we're into, you know, 2020, did that happen in the O's? Did it happen in the 10s? If it did, not to the same degree. And yeah, I wonder if... I don't if, think so. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's too because we are probably the most affluent society that's ever lived. I mean, we mm-hmm. have more now and access to more than we ever did. And there isn't a lot for quote unquote young people to complain about yeah, <laughs> compared yeah. to what pe- like kids in the sixties or seventies might've, might've been facing. So I don't know, that's totally conjecture on my part, but I see grunge as like the last reincarnation of that type of anti-establishment anger. It's kind of interesting. I, I still see, uh... There's a little bit of the movement kind of, I guess, going on today, but it's it's not nearly as big. I mean, you still get some protest bands and people, you know, singing about climate change and things like that. But I think to mention um, what you said about how most people are pretty well off um, these days, a lot of songs in this kind of movement is more towards like uh, acceptance and things like that, as opposed to like actual problems that um, people are dealing with. Yeah. So, you know, things like... uh, uh, you know, being gay or something, um, or 
um, not identifying with a certain gender or uh, you know moving to a different country and being thrown in this space where like you don't necessarily know what to do it's more it's more pushing towards accepting um, really whoever you are instead of just uh, a certain problem with which is fine but um, but yeah I do agree that uh, a lot of the you know the original counterculture is is at least very different. Yeah, so. it's a good point. Uh, a lot of today is more around inclusion. Yeah, it's about bring, bringing people in. Whereas, in you know, counterculture, punk, metal, grunge was more about exclusion. Like yeah. we are different. We are excluded from from what you're doing. And whereas now the mainstream is trying to bring people in. So it may just be an inverted energy and look a little bit different. But maybe it is still there. All right. Uh, how did the stones change after Altamont? Um, do you think that their later music would have been different? Uh, if it didn't happen? Yeah, I don't know. Um, their music, you know, the Stones have always had a way of changing with the times. You know, mm -hmm. when disco became popular, they kind of had more poppy, danceable songs. They were much more mainstream rock in the 80s. Um, they've, they have this ability to kind of uh, change their music with the times. But them as a band is a different question. Yeah. And <laughs> I... You know, they, they've never really talked openly or publicly about Altamont in yeah. a way that I think people want them to. Like, I think mm -hmm. people wanted to hear from, from the band about what that experience was like and maybe want to hear some regret or maybe some apologies. And the Stones n never really formally did that. I mean, you know, some of the guys have made some comments here or there. Um, the, the documentary uh, is incredible, and, like, you get... Um, you know, you get a, a view into, uh, into the, that time when you see like Keith and Mick watching the footage mm -hmm. as they're mixing it, you know, um, they seem to have been visibly shaken and, and, it, and it, cha it fundamentally changed them. And I think more so than the stones, what it did was it, it said, okay, we can no longer expect gatherings of tens of thousands of people without structure yeah. like maybe they got lucky at Woodstock mm -hmm. but yeah. um, these outdoor festivals or these large gatherings there's going to need to be some structure there's going to need to be some type of authoritarian force whether it's you know guards or cops or or whatever it happens to be but to me it, it seemed as though um, Altamont just fundamentally changed what a live concert experience would be. And when I was mm. starting to go to shows in the 70s and more specifically in the 80s, by then it was, there was clearly structure. You know, like yeah. you had to have a ticket to get in. Now they weren't, you know, they weren't metal detecting people back then or patting right, people down right. or anything, but like you had seats and you had assigned seats and, and uh, the bands had security and you couldn't just go backstage. Yeah. So I think it, it changed the live music experience probably for the better. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I think that's probably the, the longest standing impact that Altamont had. Um, not like I said, not necessarily just on the Stones, but I think on concerts in general. Yeah. Uh, do you see any parallels between how those at Altamont dealt with uh, Hunter's killing and how hate crimes are dealt with today? Um, I guess specifically around people not wanting to take responsibility or, or things like that. Yeah, it's uh, oh, that's a you know, it's so hard to take that cultural moment out of context because mm -hmm. you and I weren't uh, there at the time and we don't really know what that felt like. Right. Um, 
And even like, do you label it a hate crime? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, uh, did race have something to do with it? Probably. I mean, he was one of the few black people there. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you know, you're talking about these bikers who were doped up and tripped out and like, yeah, it could have been just about anybody, you know? Right. Um, so I, I think we're much more sensitive to that now, um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, how hate crimes are handled and, and what our expectations are, whether, whether Altamont was racially motivated or not, we'll never know. To me, it felt more like a tragedy of just youth in general. Like yeah. Yeah. he was 18. You know, like he was just going to a show, whether he had a gun or not, whether he was toked up or not. Like he was yeah. just at a rock and roll show. He was there with his girlfriend. You know, it's not to say he was innocent. It's not to say, you know, he didn't provoke. But the, but when the dust settled, like he was the one who died. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, that's really unfortunate. And so I think anytime there's a senseless death in that circumstance, it's going to be, it's worthy of study. It's worthy of, of of trying to figure out what happened. Um, but yeah, all, but, but the racial issues of the late sixties, early seventies and how that relates to Altamont. Mm. I don't know. That's a, that's yeah. a tough question. I, I, I would almost think you would need to talk to someone who might've like, who was at Altamont maybe mm. and kind of get a sense of, you know, what that may have been like. Although yeah. the majority of the people there never knew what happened until yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, well, can't necessarily be answered, but it's definitely interesting to talk about. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, that's all for me. Well, tell me about the riff. Uh, what was, uh, what were you going for? Yeah, well, I had some fun with it. Um, I kind of listened through a little bit of like Exile on Main Street and uh, some girls, um, specifically one of one of the songs, uh, Respectable and uh, Ventilator Blues. I think were were a few of the ones that really stuck out to me. Um, I kind of love that like mid blues feel. You know, like there's there's classic uh, blues and that started you know and like the 20s all the way up till 40s, 50s, whatever. And then you kind of have uh, blues from the 60s to 70s that are a little more, uh, maybe even into the 80s, you know, and then you start getting towards like Steve Ray Vaughan and people like that, 80s and 90s. Um, So I think it's cool how it's in that sort of middle era between like the latest uh, type of blues and the really original blues. And I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see there's so much around like blues and like white culture and things like that and like kind of how it was um, changed either for better or for worse. But I think um, some of the songs that people came up with in that era were just very different and and unique, even though they were sort of replicating something that had already been. Um, I thought that was really cool. So I've, I've always loved blues from that era. Um, as far as the song goes, um, I, that's just simple blues riffing. I mean, I've, I've always done something like that and I thought I might as well make it uh, you know, not dingy, but not like as in time or, or as perfect, just kind of, uh, getting that feel, uh, to it. And as far as tone goes on a, on a digital amp, the, the overdrive tones are terrible. Um, so (laughs) I should have figured that out, but I think one of the cool things about especially like sixties blues and, and blues rock is that, um, they're still in that transition from, from just overdrive to getting into, uh, just, you know, distortion and things like that. So, you get classic rock in the 70s and 80s that's that's really chunky that's that's really you know fuzz pedals distortion pedals whatever but i think the sound of the 60s where it's mainly just kind of that natural overdrive i think is really cool yeah so yeah uh why'd you decide to get a slide on it i don't uh, well there was i think a little bit of a slide solo and respectable which i thought was really cool um and then also allman brothers which 
you know, more of a, a 70s band, I guess, but they do some slide work too. Um, and I don't know, it's just something I think is pretty cool and, and uh, thought I could spice it up a little bit, just a little experiment. So. Yeah, I think the uh, sort of the, the British blues revival of the late 60s, early 70s is a, is a unique time. And you yeah. look at some of the guitarists who came out of that era, I mean, you know, Jimi Hendrix, of course, but you have, you know, Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and right, Jimmy right. Page. And and I think, yeah, the the riff kind of, I, it definitely had like an early Clapton, Derek and the Dominoes, Rolling yeah. Stone kind of, <laughs> kind of feel to it. Yeah. So.